Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartenized. Today's episode, Consensus. Back in 1973, I was a high school senior, and as a senior, I only needed like one credit for English and a quarter credit for gym, so I had a lot of free time and could fill it up with lots of just fun, time-killing classes, and one of the classes that I took was public speaking. Now, that was a time-killer for me because the cult that I was raised in started training all the men, all the males to do public speaking when they were like 12 or 13. So I'd already been doing it for quite a while, and and I was confident in front of an audience. I actually enjoyed being in front of an audience. So it was an easy credit. It was an easy A. And I remember my final speech. My final speech was about why evolution was wrong and how you only needed a few zeros to describe the age of the Earth. I got an A, if I recall, which means that obviously I was being graded on style and not on content. Two years later, I had escaped the cult, and I was reading and studying everything I could get my hands on. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was really just deprogramming myself, trying to latch on to reality, knowing that everything I had been taught previously was ridiculous, was garbage, made no sense whatsoever. One of the subjects I studied was evolution, and it didn't take me very long to realize that everything I knew about the subject, everything that I had been trained on the subject my whole life, was wrong. I learned dozens of facts, and then hundreds of facts, and every one of them supported evolution. And it didn't take me too long before I realized just how dopey my previous beliefs had been. Now, it didn't change my mind because of the consensus on evolution. That consensus was there all the time that I was growing up. It was just kind of discarded and brushed aside. It was the facts that convinced me. Hundreds and hundreds of facts that, when put together, prove beyond any doubt that evolution happened and was still happening and that it was real. Now, once I had come to that conclusion, it was very cool that the consensus agreed with it. But the consensus wasn't the reason that I changed my beliefs. I didn't need consensus to believe in Newton's laws of motion either, because I'd experienced them directly. I live in the Northeast, and more than once, I tried to stop my car on a sheet of ice and ended up thinking, the inertia of this body in motion is about to be acted upon by the outside force of that rapidly approaching tree. And I'd also experienced the third law by building model rockets. I loved building model rockets when I was a kid. And occasionally something would go wrong and a rocket would spin out of control. And whenever that happened, it would inevitably land on Mr. Sabusky's lawn. It would spin out of control and explode, make a lot of noise and smoke. And then Mr. Sabusky always responded by running into his yard, exploding in anger screaming threats that were a little more than noise and smoke. 
And that proved that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. It's the law of physics. Now, there are some branches of science that are just beyond me. And also, they don't really affect me. Things like quantum physics, I don't really understand it. And string theory, it's beyond my ability to envision 11-dimensional space. So, I'm perfectly willing to accept the consensus on those things. Although, part of the reason I'm so willing to do that is because no string theorist is trying to tell me what kind of light bulbs I can use. And no quantum physicist wants to heavily tax my energy use. So it's easy. I just, I'll accept the consensus on those. But I'm seeing more and more on skeptic blogs and skeptic forums the idea, the, the insistence that we have to accept consensus on all the claims that are being made about climate change, including the bleak and deadly future that's in store for us. Because it's the consensus. And because it's such a complicated subject, we should acquiesce to the experts. But consensus and experts can be wrong, and sometimes completely wrong. The consensus on secondhand smoke is that homeopathic levels of toxins in it make it so deadly that we must protect everyone from even the tiniest trace of it. But smartenized people know that that's complete bullshit. And regarding experts, James Repace, you've heard me talk about him before. He makes a very nice living concocting reports about secondhand smoke for various nanny organizations. And he claims that removing secondhand smoke from a room requires winds of hundreds of miles an hour. And he has a PhD in physics. I don't have a PhD in physics. Does that make me unqualified to call bullshit on his ridiculous claims? I don't think so. I don't have a degree in medicine either. And there are plenty of MDs out there who are anti-vaccination and pro-homeopathy. Should I stop criticizing them because I don't have a degree? Because I'm not enough of an expert? Well, regardless of your answer to that, I'm still going to go after them, I'm still going to make fun of them, and I'm still going to call them the charlatans that they are. Now, one place that skeptics and critics have to be really careful is falling for the idea that there's a conspiracy out there. And this puts them kind of in the realm of the tinfoil hat crowd. And if you really look at it, you can see that you don't have to have a specific conspiracy to have the same effect as a conspiracy. Let's use secondhand smoke as an example. I don't believe for a moment that James Repace and John Basnoff and Stanton Glantz and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and the American Cancer Society and the American Lung Association all got together in a smoke-free room and planned to push this secondhand smoke scam out and to scream about it so often that people actually started to believe this nonsense. It's not how it happened. It was more of a gradual thing that just kind of built up its own momentum and now feeds on itself. 
Once the EPA concocted their story, then it was easy to come out with other studies that made the same claim. And all the people who were funding these things were anti-smoker organizations. Now, what's going to happen, do you think, if you get a nice chunk of money from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and you do a careful study and you determine that secondhand smoke is no more dangerous than campfire smoke? You think you're going to get any more money from them? I don't think so. And your report probably isn't even going to get published because it didn't actually show anything. Reports and studies that show no correlation are much more likely to get ignored, much less likely to get published. So what happens now is you start building up this body of stuff, these body of studies, which all show all the dangers of secondhand smoke, and nobody wants to come out with something against that. And then, a couple of guys, Enstrom and Kabat, did a study using American Cancer Society data studying people over, I think it was like 40 years, and they were studying the non-smoking spouses of smokers. Huge data set. Started out with 100,000 samples, 100,000 different people. They narrowed it down to like 35,000. Big, huge monster sample size. Found that there was no correlation between all the diseases that SHS is supposed to cause and the number of diseases actually found in these non-smoking spouses. What happened? Well, just before the study was published, while the final numbers were being crunched, all the financiers, the American Cancer Society, the University of Berkeley, they pulled their funding. And immediately, before the study even went out, went on an unbelievable smear campaign against the study's authors. Now, do you think that the people who are doing smoke studies, secondhand smoke studies, primary smoke studies, they're not aware of that? They didn't see that happen? So while there's no actual conspiracy because there's no collaboration between all the people, it has the same effect. Now, I've also seen people stand up and say that they are climatologists, they disagree with the IPCC and their findings on global warming, and they know lots of other people in the field that feel the same way, but are afraid to come forward. And as we saw on ClimateGate, a journal that publishes something that the consensus doesn't like can find themselves on the receiving end of other scientists conspiring to even put them right out of business. But now, taking all this in mind, there's an even more important reason to not rely on consensus when trying to determine what's real and what's not. And that's because it takes all the fun out of being a skeptic. Last week, I heard a medical claim from a source that's usually pretty reliable, but he also occasionally falls for some woo stuff. So I don't know if this claim that he made is true or not. And when I get around to it, I'll research it myself, I'll read reports and articles, and I'll track down facts and figures, and I'll figure out if it's true, if it's false, or if it's something that we just don't know either way yet. That's the fun part of being a skeptic, learning and discovering and filtering and figuring out what's real and what's nonsense. 
If you're going to automatically accept the word of an expert or the current consensus, are you really a skeptic? And even if you are, where's the fun in it? Scientific consensus is, consensi, what's the plural of that? Whatever it is, they're usually right. And you should factor them into your conclusions and your considerations. And if the consensus agrees with your conclusions, well, good, great, that's an indicator that you're probably right. If there's a strong consensus against your conclusions, you better have done some pretty solid research and reasoning to be sure they're valid. But if you've done that research, if you've come to your conclusions thoughtfully and carefully, don't let someone tell you you're wrong because of some consensus. Instead, demand facts, because ultimately it's facts, and only facts, not consensus, that separates reality from fantasy and nonsense. And that's it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you can just understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations, you've been smartenized. Yes, you're right. That is a new song. That's a different song that sounds somewhat like the song that I usually use my theme song. It's done by the same guys, the Aquamarines, and they've come out with their first album in a couple of years, and they sent me this song. They said, hey, do you want to use this song? Do you want to play this song? Now, I started using their song, My Wonderful Shadow, as my theme song, I think at episode five, episode four or five, when I wanted to get in compliance, you know, legally and not be using something that could get me in trouble. And I found it, and I said, hey, I like this. Can I use it? And in exchange for using it, I'll mention you guys every once in a while. And they said, yeah, sure. And I probably should mention them more often than I do, because they're nice enough to let me use the song. You can find their stuff on the aquamarines.com, including their new album, including what I'm using here in the background. And when I close off the show here, I'm going to play the whole piece for you. So you can give it a listen, see if you like it, go there buy it. It's very cool. I like it because it, it sounds 60s, but without sounding dated, if that makes any sense. I just think it's a very cool song. I will be going back to the original one, but for now, this one is for some fun. I'm still collecting questions for the Ask Dave segment. I don't know if that'll be the next one or the one after that, the next show or the show after that. And of course, go to DaveHit.com. You can check out my blog. You can check out the website. You can uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm on there as Hitman with two Ts. Uh, now, by the way, if you follow me on Twitter, I don't post things like what I had for lunch or, you know, stupid little garbage like that. It'll usually be something that's interesting, and I probably post, you know, every two or three days or, or maybe once or twice a day tops. So you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Facebook. Now, if you go to Facebook, Dave Hit sounds like a unique name there's like 20 of us there so you can find me i'm the guy with the cigar lightsaber and that's the avatar i'm using at least as i'm recording this that of course may change in the future and that means the last thing i have here to tell you is that because the quick hits podcast is nothing more than a journal of one man's opinion it should not be taken too seriously and now, 
fair game by the Aquamarines.